for believers, being twice blessed is more than just an expression. It's the reality of receiving eternal life plus extra rewards for works and conduct. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah considers how being twice blessed might prompt you to live out your faith more powerfully in this life prior to entering your heavenly life. Here's David with the conclusion of his message, Heaven's Oscars. Well, you know, we just finished the Olympics, and um, the Olympics, more than anything else that I know, kind of follow the uh, picture of the rewards in heaven. Uh, in fact, I believe that most of that information was based upon the early Greek games and how people were rewarded. And interestingly, back then, they were not only rewarded for the event, but they were awarded for their preparation for the event, similar to what will happen to us someday, I believe. This is all about heaven's rewards. We actually have called these two days heaven's Oscars. We started yesterday. We'll finish it today. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about worship in heaven uh, from Revelation chapter 4. We're uh, gaining this information and gathering it from a book that we did called 31 Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse. This 460-page book is available from Turning Point. You can get it from davidjeremiah.org. This book is filled with information to help you understand what's going on. In fact, we were so shocked when uh, what happened with Russia and Ukraine was pretty much spelled out in a chapter that I wrote uh, many months ago for this book. I can't tell you that I knew what was going on, but I can tell you the Bible does. And Ezekiel, the prophet, has some very important things to say about some of the events that are happening right now in our culture. So we're we're pretty pumped up about the power of prophecy and how it is constantly being validated in the world in which we live. Well, let's get back to our discussion of Heaven's Oscars as we open our Bibles together once again. The judgment seat of Christ is a place where you will be rewarded for your service to the Lord Jesus in your Christian experience. In other words, when you become a Christian, you don't just go into limbo. You don't just, you know, get into some sort of a fog until Jesus comes back. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians that by the grace of God, we have been saved through faith and not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Then it says in the next verse, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, that we should walk in them. No, we're not saved by good works. We're saved for the purpose of doing good works. So that after we become Christians, we're to let our light so shine that men will see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. This idea that because we're not saved by good works, that we should not ever do any good works is seemingly going on in the church these days because George Barnes says you can't tell any difference between the people in the church and the people out of the church. Maybe they've just believed this deceitful thing that if you're saved by faith and you don't have to do any good works to be saved, that after you get saved, you shouldn't do any good works either because I know a lot of people that get saved and they just float. <laughs> they go nowhere. Well, one day they're going to stand before the Lord and give an account for their lives on this earth. That is the distinction. It is not a final exam. Our eternal destination, according to Bruce Wilkinson, is the consequence of what we believe on earth. Our eternal compensation is the consequence of how we behave on earth. One is behavior and the other is belief. 
And you know, there are a lot of examples in the Bible, very interesting. People who started out walking for the Lord and blew it, made big, big mess out of their life, even though they were continuing to be Christians. Go through the scripture and you'll see it. Lot and Samson, Saul, Ananias and Sapphira. They started out right. They were Christians all right, but after they became Christians, they just violated the things that were true and and suffered some pretty awful consequences. When you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, it's not about whether you're going to get in heaven or not. You'll already be there. When you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, it will be about how have I lived my life as a believer? What kind of a steward have I been for the gifts that God has entrusted to me? And it won't be a time for you to bring formal accusations against other believers. That's a strange thing, isn't it? The judgment seat of Christ is when I finally get to nail that guy, you know? Listen to me. All believers will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, each of us giving an account of himself to God. We have no right to judge the work of other believers. Romans 14, 10 through 12 says that we don't even know what rewards we will receive for ourselves. How in the world are we going to judge someone else? 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes and will bring to light the things hidden in darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. That's how it'll work. So are we together now? Here's what's going to happen. We're either going to be alive when Jesus comes and be caught up, or we're going to be dead. Our bodies will be in the grave. We'll already be with Jesus in our spirit and our grave. We'll open, we'll go up to be with the Lord, and as soon as we get to heaven, while the tribulation is going on down here on this earth, we each one are going to have our moment before the Lord for him to say to us, hopefully, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. That's what I want to happen to me. Amen? Now, interestingly enough, in the Bible, there are some Oscars described for us. There are at least five of them, and I want to just run through these so you can see what some of the possibilities are. And this is not by any means all of the awards that are going to be given. But there are five crowns that are listed in the New Testament for certain things, and it might surprise you some of the things that the Lord is going to reward when we stand before him someday. Number one, there's the victor's crown. It is recorded for us in 1 Corinthians 9, 25 through 27. Everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we do it for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Now let me give you a little background and history to this experience that Paul writes about here in 1 Corinthians. Listen up. The Greeks had two athletic festivals, the Olympic Games and the Isthmian Games. The Isthmian Games were held at Corinth and would therefore be very familiar to those who were reading Paul's letter here. Contestants in the Games had to prove rigorous training for 10 months. The last month was spent at Corinth with supervised daily workouts in the gymnasium and athletic fields. The race was always a major attraction at the Games, and that is the figure Paul uses to illustrate the faithful Christian life. Those who run in the race all run, but only one receives the prize, he says. No one would train so hard for so long without intending to win. Yet out of the large number of runners, only one wins. The prize indicates that the apostle had in mind service and rewards, not salvation and life. Paul's point is that athletes who expect to win must train diligently. But Isthmian athletes discipline themselves to win an insignificant prize. (laughs) 
How much more ought Christians to win an incorruptible, an unperishing prize? The thought, of course, is that of personal discipline. Walking with God demands personal sacrifice. Sacrifice of things not necessarily evil, but which prevent the full devotion of our soul to God. In an age of luxury like the time in which we live, the words have real significance for serious-minded servants of Christ. If you want to win an award, if you want to be standing there receiving a crown, you're going to have to say no to some things so that you can say yes to some other things. You can't live this pleasure-gorged life that we have taught ourselves is normal in our culture today. You have to learn how to turn off the television sometimes so you can study to prepare your lesson. You have to learn how to get up when you don't feel like getting up in the morning so you can get into the Word of God and be ready for the day. You have to take time away from all the things that you want to do so you can get the Scripture in your heart. You've got to take a night out of your week once in a while and go talk to somebody about Jesus. All of this is hard, and it takes discipline. And the Bible says that a person who won't do that can't be a candidate for this award. This award is given to those who discipline their body as Paul did who keep their body under control, and they become candidates for the victor's crown. Most people, including many Christians, are slaves to their bodies. Have you noticed that? Their bodies tell their minds what to do. Their bodies decide what to eat, when to eat, how much to eat, when to sleep, when to get up, and so on. An athlete cannot allow that. He follows the training rules, not his body. He runs when he would rather be resting He eats a balanced meal when he would rather have a chocolate sundae. He goes to bed when he would rather stay up. He gets up early to train when he'd rather stay in bed. An athlete leads his body and does not follow it. It is his slave, not the other way around. It is this kind of soldier that the victor's crown will be given. So some of you are saying, well, take me off that list. (laughs) Take me off that list. You had five waffles, four sausages, and two pieces of bacon for breakfast, right? No, I'm just kidding you. All of us need to learn this, and do we not all struggle with this? Every one of us. We want to be servants that the Lord can use, and it takes a certain amount of discipline in our life. And the Bible doesn't say we have to be perfect at this, but we have to be in training. Are you in training? Are you in training to serve the Lord? Are you trying to ask the Lord to help you become a better servant? God honors your heart in this matter. Then there's the crown of rejoicing. That's the second one. And you find that in 1 Thessalonians 2.19. This is what it says. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Paul asks the Thessalonians this question. He says, what is our crown of rejoicing? And then he answers it in the next phrase. He said, it is even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming. What is he talking about? He's saying that the crown of rejoicing is the crown you get because you led someone to Christ. He said, Thessalonians, let me tell you what the crown of rejoicing is. It's you, because we ministered to you. And someday when we stand before the Lord, you're going to be there because we had a ministry to you. Sometimes it's called the soul winner's crown. It's the crown that Almighty God gives to us when we get out of ourselves and we stop thinking it's all about me. And we start looking around for the people who need a touch from God. And we use the talent and the giftedness he's given us to reach out with the gospel of Jesus Christ. When was the last time you ever talked to someone about Jesus who wasn't a Christian? Let me ask you another question. When was the last time you even thought about doing that? Well, we have some people in this church who they're just witnesses. They just talk to people all the time about Jesus. And they're candidates for the crown of rejoicing. Paul's love for these Thessalonians is very emotional. He calls them his joy, his hope, and his crown. 
And the crown is sometimes the soul winner's crown. Let's notice the third one, the crown of righteousness. It's found in 2 Timothy 4.8. Watch this. Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who love his appearing. Now, Paul is prepared to meet the Lord. He is certain of his own eminent death as he writes this. He is content with his record of service and confident of his reception by the Savior. And Paul's use of the athletic metaphor is especially descriptive of the life of a believer because it describes struggle, endurance, discipline, and final victory. The crown of righteousness is reserved for those who have a longing for the Lord Jesus, who look for Jesus to come back. But there are some people who have their hearts set on heaven and have their hearts set on seeing Jesus Christ. And those are the people that will get this crown because they love the appearing of the Lord. Then there's the crown of life. Number four, James 1.12 and Revelation 2.10. This is pretty easy to understand. Blessed is the man who endures testing. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Revelation 2.10, do not fear any of these things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Now watch this. The crown of life is given in recognition of enduring and triumphing over trial and temptation and persecution, even to the point of martyrdom. The motivation has to be love for Christ. When you go through the struggles and the persecutions that so many have gone through to preserve our faith, many of those people will be walking around in the early days of heaven with this particular crown of life because they suffered persecution for the cause of Christ. And I believe that in our culture today, there are many who are entrusted with a great deal of suffering. And many of you have too. You go through it with the right spirit. You give glory to the God, and you don't complain all the time, and you don't always ask him why, but you walk through the suffering and the trial, and you carry yourself as a person of integrity and a man or a woman of God. Someday you'll stand before the Bema seat, and God will say, you took it, and you took it well, and you honored me in the midst of it, and here's the crown of life. Charles Wesley wrote a little hymn that I've never heard sung before, but these are the words. In hope of that immortal crown, I now the cross sustain and gladly wander up and down and smile at toil and pain. I suffer out my threescore years till my deliverer come and wipe away his servant's tears and take his exile home. <laughs> the crown of life. And then the last one is the crown of glory in 1 Peter 5, 4. And I'm a little excited about this because this is the preacher's crown. This is what it says. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of glory that does not fade away. This crown is for those who are faithful shepherds of the people of God and for Christian leaders. He has one out of the five crowns that is reserved for those who are in leadership and who are shepherds of people. And you know what? You don't have to be a pastor or even on a staff. Maybe you shepherd a small group. Those of you who are facilitators and you shepherd that group and you care about all the people that come every week, you know who they are, what their names are, what their challenges are, and you pray for them and you shepherd them, you're in the running for the shepherd's crown, for the crown of glory. Now, have you got all those? Those are just a few. Those are the five that are mentioned by name in the New Testament. That'll give you some idea what this is all about. This is not about being a Christian. You already are a Christian. You wouldn't be there. If you are not a Christian, you will not be in front of the judgment seat of Christ. There's another judgment called the great white throne judgment that comes a lot later. And if you're not a Christian, you'll get to stand before that one. But I want to tell you something. You don't want to be there. You want to be at this one. 
Because you will already be saved. You will already be in heaven. And the Bible says some of you were going to get to heaven yet so as by fire. In other words, you're going to skip into heaven with the smell of smoke on your clothes. I mean, that's kind of how it is. But you're going to be in heaven. Amen? Amen. But you know what? I don't want to be there like that. Do you? I'm going to tell you a couple of reasons why as we come to the end of this message. But I want to give you some applications of how this works for us. Let's take note. Number one, remember that the Lord himself is your chief reward. Don't ever forget that. Whatever else you may get in heaven, the Lord himself is your chief reward. In Genesis 15, 1, we read, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid. I am your shield, and I am your exceeding great reward. How many of you know the Lord God is your great reward? If you never got anything else, you get the Lord. You got it all, right? Amen? Remember, the Lord himself is your chief reward. Number two, resist doing works outwardly just for the purpose of getting an award. The book of Matthew, the Lord Jesus has some interesting things about posturing. I mentioned that earlier, posturing and spinning. Did you know Christians are good at that? We're really good at posturing and spinning and play acting. Listen to this, Matthew 6, 1. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you himself openly. If you serve the Lord just so you can get a reward, it indicates that you don't understand Christianity. Why do you serve the Lord? Because you love him. And these rewards, these heavenly Oscars are for people who take it to the next level and throw themselves into serving the Lord with all of their hearts. I don't know very many people, I've never heard very many people even mention who are serving the Lord just to get a reward. Somebody put it this way, in theory it might be possible to pursue eternal rewards with fleshly motives. However, I've never met anyone I've sensed was guilty of doing so. I've never heard someone say, I'm a missionary in the deep, dark jungle because when I get to heaven, I want a mansion that's bigger than the Joneses. I never heard anything like that, have you? For myself, I can't ever remember thinking, if I witness to that guy, God's going to owe me big time. I mean, you don't think that way. You see, that's what he's talking about. You know, if you're really an athlete, you don't run for the trophy. You run for the joy of the race and for the discipline and for the victory that comes in your heart. The trophy is just something to keep around and remind you of the blessing of being in the race itself. And then I want you to remember the third thing is this. Reflect on the ultimate goal of any rewards that you will receive. What are we going to do with these crowns? I don't know what they're going to look like, but let me tell you what we're going to do with them. Watch this. And the 24 elders fell down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever, and they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Did you know that that's going to happen in heaven? After we get all our rewards and we're going to be so excited about it, then we're going to see Jesus, and we're going to take the only thing we have that's in heaven beside us, which is the crown he gave us, And we're going to fall down at his feet and give it to him and say, thank you, Lord, for helping me to be here. Thank you, Lord, for paying for my sin. Thank you, Lord, for being my redeemer. I haven't got much to give you, but here's my crown. And friend, I don't want to be left out of that. Do you? I don't want to be standing in the background watching everybody that I knew on this earth, bringing their crowns and giving them to the Lord Jesus. And because I was so lazy as a Christian, so undisciplined as a child of God, I've got nothing to offer. 
That would be a moment. And I'll tell you what, that is before he wipes away all tears. He wipes away all tears after this is over because there are going to be tears at that moment, I promise you. Well, I'm pretty excited about heaven and what the Lord has in store for us. There's a story that I've heard over the years. I almost didn't want to tell it to you because I'm sure some of you have heard it, but I don't know a better story to end this sermon with than this one. So listen up. There was an old missionary couple who had been working in Africa for years, and they were returning to New York City to retire. They had no pension. Their health was broken. They were defeated, discouraged, and afraid. They discovered as they got aboard ship that they had booked the same ship as President Teddy Roosevelt, who was returning from Africa and one of his big game hunting expeditions. No one paid attention to them. They watched the fanfare that accompanied the president's entourage with passengers trying to catch a glimpse of this great man wherever he was aboard ship. As the ship moved across the ocean, the old missionary said to his wife, something's wrong. Why should we have given our lives in faithful service for God in Africa all these many years and have no one care a thing about us? Here this man comes back from a hunting trip and everybody makes much over him, but nobody gives two hoots about us. And this dear man's wife said, honey, you shouldn't feel that way. I can't help it, he said. Doesn't seem right. Well, the ship docked in New York. Band was waiting to greet the president. The mayor and other dignitaries were there. Papers were full of the president's arrival, but not one single person noticed this missionary couple. They slipped off the ship, found a cheap flat on the east side, hoping the next day to see what they could do to make a living in the city of New York. That night, this missionary man's heart broke. He said to his wife, I can't take this. God is not treating us fairly. His wife replied, why don't you just go in the bedroom, tell that to the Lord. Why are you fortunate if you have a wife like that? <laughs> Short time later, he came out from the bedroom and now his face was completely different. His wife asked, honey, what happened? He said, well, the Lord settled it with me. I told him how bitter I was that the president should receive this tremendous homecoming when no one met us as we returned home. And when I finished, it seemed as though the Lord put his hand on my shoulder and simply said, but you're not home yet. You're not home yet. It's rewarding to serve Christ. And there are many rewards that we receive in this life. People being thankful, letters of appreciation, testimonies from the baptistry that we've had a little part in. But I want to tell you something. All the awards are not given out down here. The best awards are being reserved for the award ceremony in the heavens. If you've been serving the Lord faithfully and nobody seems to be noticing, just remember, you're not home yet. And there's something coming that you don't want to miss out on. Amen. Amen. This is Turning Point. I'm David Jeremiah. We're studying Bible prophecy under the heading of 31 Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse. This is a book that was written a couple of years ago, and it's now available to you. You can get this book from davidjeremiah.org. And uh, I hope you will, because I know there's information in there that will help you understand what is happening and what is about to happen here on planet Earth. Don't forget that during this month, you can get a copy of Bible Prophecy by the Numbers, a booklet that we have put together to help you see the important numbers in the prophetic word, what they mean, where they fit, 
and uh, how they might be affecting you even now. This booklet is available for a gift of any size to Turning Point. You can send your gift and ask for the book, and we'll send it right to you to say thank you. Your investment in what we're doing to share this word around the world is most appreciated, and this is one of the ways we say thank you. As I mentioned, tomorrow we're going to talk about uh, worship in heaven. Um, There's a great worship scene in heaven in the fourth chapter of Revelation. We're going to unpack that tomorrow. If you're a worship leader or a choir member, you don't want to miss tomorrow. We're going to talk about what will ultimately happen when you're a part of the greatest worship choir ever assembled in the history of the universe. That's tomorrow here on Turning Point. I'll be here. I hope you'll join me. Our message today came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church and senior pastor, Dr. David Jeremiah. Will you share with us how Turning Point is helping you in your daily walk? Write to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of Bible Prophecy by the Numbers. David's new resource that reveals the meanings of numbers in Scripture. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet. Or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries to access our programs and resources. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series Signs right here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you're looking to enhance your personal or group Bible study, look no further than the Jeremiah Bible Study Series. In each volume, Dr. David Jeremiah helps you understand what the Bible says and how to apply it. Along the way, you will gain insights into the text, identify key themes, and be challenged to apply the truth found in Scripture to your life. Get your copy today. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca slash study. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash study. Do you wish you had a better grasp of Bible prophecy? Then you'll love Dr. David Jeremiah's new book, Bible Prophecy by the Numbers. Grow in your understanding of end times events and discover what the numbers and prophecy mean. This fascinating book is yours with a gift of any amount this month and give $70 or more to receive this book plus two other answer books that will help address your most pressing questions about end times and Bible prophecy. Find out more at davidjeremiah.ca. Have you ever wondered what your legacy will be? The Jeremiah Legacy Society from Turning Point was created for friends of the ministry who feel called to partner with Dr. David Jeremiah to deliver the unchanging Word of God to future generations. We can ensure that the impact we have reaches beyond our days here on earth. Visit our website at davidjeremiahgift.org to learn more about how you can be a part of the Jeremiah Legacy Society. There is a traditional principle of capitalism that goes like this. Capitalism doesn't say that everybody will become rich, but it does say that anybody can become rich. In other words, the free enterprise system theoretically offers an equal opportunity for all who desire to grasp it. The economy of the kingdom of God is similar. The gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't say that everybody will be saved. 
but it does say that anybody can be saved. The Bible says that Christ paid the price for the sins of the whole world. Therefore, whoever hears the gospel and responds in faith can be saved. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's offer of salvation on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.